Standby playback. And now, I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I want you to think about this question. I'll get to your calls in just a moment. Would you send your children to schools that feature classes segregated by race? Now, I would not. Uh, I don't want my grandchild to go to a class like that. But it's happening, and it's happening in a major American city. I'll tell you the details on that in just a moment. First, welcome to the program, and welcome to Conspiracy Theory Thursday. Glad to have you on board. And if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And if you're a naysayer, we'll put you first. Our Twitter poll today, does America need to scale back on the number of legal immigrants? that it accepts. Now, there are some suggestions being made. 50 million people living in the U.S. were born in another country, according to a brand new report. The Center for Immigration Studies, and we talk to them all the time, found 49.5 million people, about 15% of our total population, originally born in another country. Now, the question is, have they assimilated? I would say the evidence around us suggests they have not. And an estimated four and a half million people have crossed the border since Joe Biden's inauguration day on that sad day in January 2021. That is a larger number of people than the population of 25 U.S. states. And the Census Bureau had originally estimated the foreign-born population would not hit 15 percent until 2033. And imagine the kind of a cultural and other problems that it creates when you have a big country that has always been a melting pot. It's not much of a melting pot anymore. Should America scale back on the number of legal immigrants it accepts? And I often get people saying, well, we've always done this. Well, until the 1960s, until Ted Kennedy in the U.S. Senate, uh, you know, I, I didn't think much of Senator Kennedy, but until he pushed through so-called immigration reform that began to bring in more and more legal immigrants to the United States, which is a positive, but too much of anything is not a good thing. So you say, what's the right number? Well, during the 80s, during President Reagan, we had about 300,000 legal immigrants to the United States every year. Uh, during the Clinton era in the 90s, it was about 600,000. It hit around a million uh, during the first part of George Bush and into Barack Obama. So which number is the right number to accept as legal immigrants, especially when we're being overrun by Joe Biden's illegal alien invasion of millions? The total number of border crossers since Joe Biden began, 9 million, and the official count, about half of that. So should we scale back on the number of legal immigrants that America accepts? We've been incredibly generous. I would say yes. Scale the number back. Don't take it to zero. But it's got to be somewhere between the 300,000 of the 80s, the 600,000 of the 90s, and the 1 million plus every year since then. Glad to have you with me. 866-HEY-LARS. I've also been talking about e-vehicles. There have been some big developments over the last, uh, literally just the last few days. Number one. A letter written by and signed by the owners of 3,000 car dealerships nationwide begging the Biden administration 
to give up its battery buggies because they're not selling and Americans don't want them. That's problem number one. Problem number two, Ford Motor Company that lost $2 billion last year. Ford Motor Company just this week had 400 dealers who said, we want no part of your e-vehicle program. It is demanding that car dealers put hundreds of millions of dollars into buying e-vehicles that are not selling well right now. So I'm getting a fair amount of attention for that. If you want to jump into the conversation, it's 866-HEY-LARS. Let's go first to Josh. Hey, Josh, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. Hey, Lars, thank you. Love the show. Thank you. Uh, I work for a Ford dealership, and uh, Ford is requiring us, obviously, to sell those EV vehicles. The deal is, as a dealership, you have to put in X amount of dollars, uh, infrastructure as far as uh, building, you know, the chargers, uh, inventory, and what have you. Um, Each dealership is required to do that to become a specified EV dealer. If you don't do that, then you're penalized whatever um yep it's costing the dealership a crazy amount of money and especially it affects the small dealerships that don't have that margin there um but the evs that we have on the lot have been on the lot for months um and we pay a fee for that per vehicle yeah somebody has to pay uh, the flooring cost right the cost of the money that's locked up in that car right Right, and and those cars sit there. I mean, we've got Ford Lightnings on the lot that they've been sitting there for a month, month and a half, two months. Um, Just no one comes to test drive. Well, Josh, what I'd seen on, I think it was Jalopnik, which is a site that follows automobile, you know, stuff in the auto industry, they said 400 of the dealers have said, we're, we're not going to make that massive investment in infrastructure to be able to put e-vehicles on our lot. We're just not going to do it. We can't afford it. It doesn't make sense. It seems like a bad bet. And they're really asking you to bet that if you build all this infrastructure and buy all this inventory and put it on the lot, that somehow Americans are going to buy it. And your practical experience at the dealership level is saying it ain't happening, right? No, it's, it's not. It's a tough time even selling new cars as it is. And then the EV market—it's just—it's not—it's just not there. Yeah, and I, I think I think the White House is going to come. Its push is going to come to shove because think about the factors that are lining up against it. And I know people want to blame me for this argument, but just look at the facts on the ground. Ford lost two billion dollars last year, almost all of it on the e vehicle side. They made money on the gasoline and diesel side. That's item one. Item two, when they're losing $36,000 every time they sell one of the e-vehicles because it costs more to make it. Imagine a restaurant where they offered a $10 steak that cost the restaurant $20 to make. And you say, well, how long can we do that? And then you go back to old jokes about Ole and, and Sven. You know, we'll make it up in volume. We'll sell twice as many steaks at a loss. No, it doesn't make sense. Let's go to a Trey. Hey, Trey, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey, thanks for taking my call, Lars. Listen to you every day. Thank Love you. Love the show. Um, Thank you. Just heard the caller about the, the EV cars a little bit ago arguing. Um, and it, it blows my mind, like, the amount of people that can't look at the facts. and like. Well, see, he wanted to personalize and say, this is just you, Lars. You just don't like them. Look, one of these days, Trey, the technology and everything else may get there because I don't dislike technology. But there are technologies that work. And there are technologies that don't, uh, you know, 
And and when oh, they don't absolutely. work, why am I? Why do I want my government to tell me as a citizen you are forbidden to buy the car you want? You must buy the car you don't want because we think we're saving the planet by doing it. I would think Americans would resent that deeply. It's one thing to say, I really want to go down and buy a car with a Hemi engine in it. Great. I've had one of those. They're fun to drive. But do you want to make people, you know, like they did with light bulbs? They said you are no longer allowed to buy an incandescent light bulb. You must buy the much more expensive alternative, which does have some positive attributes to it. But I wanted to sell on its positive attributes, not based on some government bureaucrat or some idiot president saying... We're just going to make everybody buy them. By the way, a welcome to our newest affiliate in Fargo, North Dakota, WZFG, The Flag, 1100 AM, and all our other affiliates around America. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Listen in Cockney slang. Brown bread means dead. Bubble bath means you're having a laugh. But what does mean? Oh, that's right. Joe Biden. Now, back to the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. Glad to get to your calls, too, at 866-HEY-LARS. The Satanic Temple has now officially unveiled its intent to open the world's first religious abortion clinic in New Mexico. And I thought we'd talk about that with our friend Sean Carney, who's CEO and president of 40 Days for Life. Sean, welcome back. And what the heck is going on and why why are they doing this? <clears throat> Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have that's, uh, I don't have an explanation for it. Somebody's naming an abortion clinic after state. I mean, that's the the Satanic Temple is now getting into the abortion business. They announced this last year. It was kind of a story after they overturned Roe v. Wade, and it's a Satanic Temple in New Mexico, and they have named it after. It's called Samuel Alito's Mother's Abortion Clinic. Um, oh God, I it's so stupid. Um, and obviously, if you're a woman seeking an abortion, I don't know what happened to this is a difficult decision and it's really hard to now this goofball approach where the devil is like your mascot and you're bragging about it. Um, you don't see satanic cardiovascular surgery centers. You don't see satanic uh, oncology centers. So it's it further shows that in a post-row world, they're not able to actually articulate that abortion is actual health care because it's not. That's why they constantly scream it. And they don't treat it like health care. They treat it like a goofy sacrament. And this is the perfect example of that. By the way, this clinic has not done a lot of abortions. I mean, nobody wants to drive into this thing. They're not serious. Um, and I think this is another sign. It's You, you want to take Satan. We want to make him our buddy. We want to kind of mock him. And, and, you know, which is not what he does. He is best when he goes unnoticed. Um and he likes being unnoticed. But this is um, this is what you get in a post-row five years ago, unheard of. They, nobody would have ever done this. And I promise you internally, Planned Parenthood hates this crap. 
Well, I'll bet they do. Although I was going to say the one, I, if I if I try to look for the silver lining in anything, naming an abortion clinic satanic seems like a you know it, at least there's some honesty in advertising. Whereas Planned totally Parenthood, <laughs> Planned Parenthood could be called Planned not being a parenthood uh, because because you know it's like like everything else that gets named by government or by left wingers, uh, it seems to be named in a way that make it sound warm and fuzzy. Oh, we're planning out being parents. No, you're not. You're planning to say I'm not going to be a parent and and that seems kind of dishonest to me and especially because even the democrats don't seem to want to reject the origins of planned parenthood with margaret sanger and eugenics that by the way inspired that crazy guy in in germany in the 40s uh 30s and 40s and 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 you say that they have this for everybody today who's looking for a tweet you sent out 10 years ago that'll crush your you know your your public uh you know image um, how about this? Planned Parenthood getting money from taxpayers, allegedly doing health care, and they find their origins in eugenics and racism because Margaret Sanger didn't put those clinics in black neighborhoods in American cities by accident. She put it there on uh, in those neighborhoods on purpose, and she stated her purpose was to wipe out black people. So you think an organization like that is still in operation? Are you kidding me? Yeah, they, they've been very honest about it, and they've honored her. And then, of course, like everybody else, they had to get woke in 2020. And their CEO, Alexis McGill-Johnson, who's not very articulate, came out and said, yeah, she was a little racist, and she did experiments <laughs> on, you know, Puerto Rican women. She is like being a little pregnant. It's like she's I, I was going to say that's one of my favorite comparisons, Sean, is I'll tell people you can't be a little bit pregnant or, or have a little bit of nutmeg. It's, it well, is what it is. <laughs> Especially during that year, nobody was a little racist. Everybody was a racist. I mean, you order a sandwich, they'd call you a racist. It doesn't matter. So it's kind of funny that they're just like, yeah, she was into eugenics. She did experiments on Puerto Rican women, and she, you know, didn't really like black people, but we don't know her heart. Oh, well, great. We'll just move on. So, But, but they, they still hand out on. an award with her name on it, don't they? Uh, a I recipient. don't think that they. I think they had to stop doing that. I'd have to double after, check. I think after Hillary, the they decided back. to stop doing that because Hillary got it. I think. I, I think no, she was Hillary on the got list. it. No, yeah. definitely. Hillary. Hillary was tight with Margaret. So yeah, it's it's one of these crazy things. And um, you know, the goal of Planned Parenthood for years was to professionalize abortion, legitimize uh, abortion, sell abortion. You know, pre- present themselves as legitimate health care. And since Roe was overturned, they've just lost their minds. Really, since 2019, once Cuomo lit up the Empire State Building and once Governor Northam started bragging about how much he knows about infanticide, um, it got really weird really fast because this whole notion of abortion up to 40 weeks, the baby survives, you let the baby girl suffocate on the table, we deny health care to, to uh, abortion survivors, it just went to a whole new level. Then they overturn Roe, and the satanic temple says, we're here to rescue all of you. We're going to start doing abortions. And it's goofy, and that's why they don't have an article in you know, the Harvard Medical Journal. Uh, they have an article in, in Cosmo, okay, yeah. because <laughs> this has taken on a goofy pop culture. They're not serious about abortion in a post-Roe world. They want to appear that way. Uh, but they don't know how to articulate it. And it's well, like the guy that you can't get an answer out of. Every time you ask him a question, he makes a joke. And and that's what they're doing. 
Well, and it's funny, Sean. I'm talking to Sean Carney, who's president of 40 Days for Life. I'd be glad to talk to the people from Planned Parenthood. I can't tell you how many dozens of times I've called their national leadership. Yeah. Their other, they don't want to talk about the subject. And and it's always struck me, one of my rules as a reporter was I would have somebody call me up and say, hey, I've got this great story. I said, great, I'll bring a camera out or bring a microphone out. We'll do an interview. And when they say, nope, not, no, nope, no, nope, I'm not going to go on the record. I say, okay, then you don't have a story. And I would just, you know, end the conversation. And that was that. Because it always told me something if somebody said, I want to tell you what's going on, but I'm not willing to put my face or my name or anything else uh, in connection with making that argument then that should tell you something about what it is you're supporting when you're not willing to answer some hard questions about it. Yeah, it, it's a it's a total red flag, and they won't. It's all BS. They say they want to have the conversation about abortion, but they don't. They don't want to have a conversation about abortion. They don't want to talk about abortion. Roe v. Wade allowed them not to talk about abortion, and now that it's gone and the comfort of Roe is gone, they're having to articulate abortion and as a result, they're naming abortion clinics after the mothers of Supreme Court justices. I mean, it's just so stupid. And you're going to turn around and look at us and say this is legitimate health care and women will die without it. It's complete nonsense. And it has to be called out well, as such. And, and Sean, the other concern I've got is this. We've got a, a great number of people who are saying, well, you Republicans should give up all talking about this abortion stuff and taking a position on it because it's costing you elections. Well, I don't think that's the case in one number one. And if people are saying, I'm not going to vote for you because you don't support uh, infanticide up to the moment of birth, then I'd say then I don't need your vote uh, because I don't you know, I don't want to vote from somebody who says I'll only vote for you if you're willing to kill babies. That seems like a really bad standard. Yeah, it, it's a completely bad standard. And, and of course, we have to talk about it. Well, because the other side doesn't like us talking about it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know what our country went through to, to get rid of slavery? That's the only other example when the Supreme Court, you know, mandated and dehumanized an entire segment of our human population. And, uh, you know, when when Dred Scott was overturned, uh, everybody thought it was a disaster. Many people thought, well, the economy is going to hurt. You know, a lot of people wanted to nope. go back to slavery. And we're in that time period where history is a harsh judge. 2020 definitely taught us that. And and there are some people sprinting to the wrong side of history. And we can't have an America where you are protected under the Constitution in 23 states now. And you, uh, you have a right to life. Um, and then in other states, you can be killed for any reason. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. Sean Carney is CEO and president of 40 Days for Life. Sean, thanks very much. I appreciate the time. When we come back, you're not going to believe what Joe Biden is doing now. He's suggesting that if companies don't start literally dropping the prices in the midst of massive inflation, that they are somehow gouging Americans. That is coming directly from Joe Biden on his Twitter feed. He says, prices are down. Start dropping your prices or we're going to accuse American retailers of gouging American citizens. Back in a moment, you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Why 
look so awfully tragic. Put on a happy face. Yes, he has a face for radio. All the same, check out the Lars Rumble Daily at Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. If you want to jump into the best conversation and talk journalism, it's 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Michael's on the line in California. Michael, you called in because I mentioned inflation and Joe Biden's latest crazy comments. What's on your mind today? Oh, yeah. Thank you, Lars. Uh, I listen to you out here once in a while. And thank you. I'm just, you know, I'm not an econ major, but I understand inflation is really high. Uh, and I'm not saying that corporate prices are bad for my portfolio, but corporate prices and corporate profits are five times the inflation rate. And my understanding would be uh, profits if, in which in which particular industry, because if the inflation rate right now is three and a half percent. And you're saying that yeah. you just threw out that are, are, are five times. So you're saying corporate profits are somewhere around 18 to 20 percent. Which industry yeah. are you talking about? I'm just talking about corporate profits. I, I can't specifically name one, but I'm just going by what I see in the stores. Inflation goes down and corporate and corporate prices don't go down when their costs have gone down. And my understanding would be the Econ 101. On. Where, where did you hold on? Uh, according to yeah. U.S., uh, it says corporate profits after tax is at 10.73 percent compared to 10.74 last quarter, 12 percent last okay. year. OK. And okay. the long term average is about seven and a quarter percent, uh, 7.17. So 7.2 percent. So corporate profits okay. are not five times inflation, or they'd be closer to 20%, which is 100% higher. Uh, you, what you said was uh, would have been 100% higher than what they actually are. The current average across well, I'm going, America. I'm going by some, okay, I listened to numerous uh, shareholder calls and corporate. Okay, those are for one and, one industry in, or one company in particular, but you can't just say if that company is making 15%, then every company in America is making 15%. That doesn't follow, does it? No, I wouldn't say that it does. Okay, now you and just said something else I want to ask you about, though. You said prices are down. Where do you see any prices that are down? Oh, I shop at I shop at uh, grocery outlet. Yeah. Oh, I'll tell you, prices are down there. But no, what well, I, down I from where? Oh. Down from where? Because Bars, Michael, Michael, nationwide food prices are up twenty one percent since Joe Biden took office. Twenty point nine percent. Well, where are you seeing them that, down? No, I want to say that I misspoke about them being down. Oh, okay. No, I know. So, I I was just in a I was just in a national corporate chain today, and the prices are ridiculous. Well, but but, but why here's is the that thing. Joe, why, now? The, why, let me if ask. You, let me ask you the question, Lars. Sure, go ahead. Why is that Joe Biden? Why is that Joe Biden's fault? Oh, I can tell you why. Because uh, let's do. start. Let's start with the energy. Energy is an input for virtually uh, for everything. I don't know of a single product or service that doesn't use energy. Do you think I'm right? Okay. Okay, electric electric prices are up twenty four point seven percent. Oil prices are up dramatically. I don't I don't have a percentage for that. But when you have a company that let's say you produce food. So how do you produce food? You put oil in tractors and you plant and then you put oil in other machines and you harvest 
and then you take more oil and put it in a truck to carry the raw food off to a processing plant where it's turned into the finished product with more electricity, more pro, uh, either propane or natural gas, and then it's put in another truck and taken to a grocery store where if it's a refrigerated product, it's in refrigerators run on electricity. So when electric rates are up 24%, gasoline costs are up almost 50%, diesel is up about the same amount, about 50%, how do you bring yeah. down the price of food when the inputs to make the food are up so dramatically? I understand that, but why is that President Biden's fault? Oh, because Joe Biden bragged during his campaign for office that he would eliminate the fossil fuel business altogether. And he, he said, oh, you're on telling my- Lars, so what you're telling me that his he has no control over the prices and fossil fuels raise their prices based on his whatever you want to call it. Well, his I'll tell you why they policy. raise the, I'll tell you why oil prices are up, among other things. Now, there are a bunch of different factors, but on day one in office, Joe Biden bragged he would cancel the Keystone XL pipeline. He would cancel as many leases for drilling of oil and natural gas as he could. He's, 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 uh, he's sent signals to Wall Street saying, don't loan money to these people in the oil business. And it takes money up front to punch holes in the ground and find the oil and the natural gas. He has done nothing. I understand that. And why do oil companies, they have plenty of leases available, but they're not drilling. No, why but that's, that's that? not true, Michael, because... That you, is true, Lars. Well, there, there, are, there are not plenty. Michael, how do you... Uh, I'll define plenty as this. If you said, Lars, do you have plenty of milk in the refrigerator? I say, yeah. I have enough milk in the refrigerator to meet all my immediate needs for about the next 10 days. That's plenty. Right. Why, why would oil companies have taken out leases on more land to drill on it if they had plenty? I think that's arbitrary. No, it's not arbitrary. Think, Michael, let, 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 Michael. Let me just give you, Lars. Let me ask you a question, Michael. I'll me, illustrate. I'll bring the illustration to your level, Michael. Do you have plenty of socks? Don't say, hey, Lars, don't condescend to me. Well, okay? No, I'm just saying when you say you have plenty of something, why would any profit-making company go out and spend money to take out more leases to drill for oil if they thought they already had plenty? Okay. I, I understand that. Uh, just the other day, we produced, we came to the, uh, the oil industry produced more oil domestically than we ever have. Well, so and at 80, 80 or $90 a barrel, they're, than they're, we ever have. But, but here's the problem, they, Michael. Why? I'm going to answer you. Here's why. If you have an oil okay. well, and when Joe Biden came in, oil was around 40 bucks a barrel and is now 80 bucks a barrel. Are you going to be pumping every single barrel of oil you can out of that well? The answer is yes. Now, will the well go on forever? The answer is no. How do you make sure you will have more wells available to pump from when the one you're pump, the ones you're pumping from now run down or dry? I mean, they, they will reduce in production. And the answer is you keep putting more new wells in. How do you get new wells? You lease land, most of the land lease that oil is drilled for is I just most think, of it, Lars, I, not all. I understand that. Now, I just think it's very simplistic to, blank, to go to the oil thing. Now, if oil was going to be a problem, which in the future it probably will be because oil companies aren't going to be able to uh, sustain their profit levels because of electric vehicles, then why, why well, are... Where so do you think the electricity make- is going to come from, Michael? Can you tell me? It's going to be... Comfort- hopefully it'll come from uh, green sources. 
Oh, which that is what we're you hoping think for. That, you think that wind and solar. So, Michael, when you buy a window. No, 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 no. Please don't put words in my mouth. I just okay, want to say Okay, then where are thing. you going to get it? What thing, what, What's the green source? The thing I want to say is it's very, sim- it's very simplistic, Lars, to say that all domestic oil is uh, price of oil per barrel is based on our domestic supply. You no, I didn't say it was based on domestic but, supply, but when you cut no, back drilling for oil, when you not, cut back drilling for oil in one of the most productive oil produ- producing places, on we're the Saudi Arabia of North America, is what we are right now. I understand now. that. So if so you what, say, you're not let's, taking into the price of oil, you're only taking domestic and dealing with domestic because there are corporations. You're not taking into account how OPEC sure I am. No, oil, oil is priced as a, Michael, Saudi oil is a worldwide commodity. Oil is a worldwide commodity. But, Michael, I ask you, where's the electricity going to come from for all these electric cars that are going to replace the gas cars? Where's the electricity going to come from? I think it's going to have to come from, hopefully, natural gas. No. The Greens Greens have already said they do not want natural gas used. They don't want nuclear. They certainly don't want coal. So they've wiped out, and they're tearing down dams right now. They're tearing down hydro dams right now in the region I live in. So where's the juice going to come from? Got the Lars Larson Show. For the rising prices. Seton, how are you? Seton there? What happened? Hold on a second. Seton, are you there? You know what? Check and see if Seton's on that line because I don't think he is. But we, I want to get Seton's take on all this. This uh, oh, It looks like his line must have dropped. Well, that's what you get for living in strange foreign countries like or visiting strange foreign countries the way he has. But uh, I want to tell you what Joe Biden had to say he he went on Twitter and he says crazy things on Twitter and among others he has said that he's blaming um, he's blaming corporations and corporate greed let me read the tweet for you let me be clear to any corporation that hasn't brought down their prices even as inflation has come down Seton are you there uh, yeah, we had a technical issue. I don't know what the problem was. I apologize. I said that's a, that's a, that's a Brand X third world country IPs. But um, so I, I'm actually on a VPN to Florida. Okay, well then 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 we'll blame <laughs> we'll blame Ron. Why is Ron DeSantis, uh, who's running for president officially, although he's going to lose and not get the nomination, why is he debating a guy who's not Thank running you. for president? Thank you. Why are you raising the profile of the clown show from California? <laughs> <laughs> I said the exact, I said the exact same thing yesterday. Uh, do you know Vicky? You know Vicky McKenna, right? Yeah, yeah. She. I was on her show yesterday, and I said, "Why the hell is this happening? What? What? He looks stupid and desperate. Stupid because he's raising the profile of a terrible person that they obviously want to substitute for Joe Biden at the eleventh hour, and and desperate because he, he, you know, he's struggling to get some sort of traction on anything anywhere." By any means necessary. He's losing. Well, and and what's funny is I think our friends at National Review, and I still have friends at National Review, but I think they're crazy. They went anti-Trump a long time ago, and they've never come back. And and what they did was they ran a headline today that said how how DeSantis can beat Newsom. And I thought, how do you beat a guy who's not running for president? How does the guy who is still officially running for president, DeSantis, beat 
the guy who's not running for president yeah. in a presidential debate. How, how how does that work? I mean, look, you know, in, in, in I got I got some sense of like a flashback. Do you remember? You, you know, for people who are very old, and I read about this. I was barely alive when this happened. Remember when Reagan and Ronald Reagan and William F. Buckley went around the country debating whether or not we should return the Panama Canal? Yes, the, I do. To the it was great stuff. It was great stuff. Now, this, if you want to say this harkens back, that would make it somewhat interesting. Unfortunately, in the intervening half century, America got about 30 IQ points dumber. And so I'm not sure... Either one of these guys, you know, Abby, you know, it's the it's the line from uh, Charlie Wilson's War. You're not you're not James Bond. Well, you're not Thomas Jefferson. Let's call it. <laughs> um, these guys are not Buckley and Reagan. Let's, let's no, be real. You know what I would like to see a return to if we could find the good uh, liberal victim is is the Buckley Gore Vidal. Um, oh, yeah. At the, at yeah, the conventions. You'll stay, you'll stay plastered, Lars. <laughs> Um, yeah. Oh man, that was and, and when <laughs> Buckley actually he it was it was this very cla- like Buckley always was. He was a classy guy, a classy threat to punch Gore Vidal in the nose, who richly deser- would have deserved it. Well, he called Let him me- a crypto Nazi <laughs> back when nobody when it wasn't used every thirty seconds and therefore lost its luster. Back it then, calling someone a Nazi was a genuine insult. Um, it was just because hey, it wasn't hey, it wasn't see, thrown around every five seconds. See, now I got to read you this this tweet though. This is Joe Biden or one of his staff members, whoever does his tweets. But it's stupid. But, but I'll, I'll, I'll read you what Joe Biden actually wrote. Go ahead. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let me be clear to any corporation that has not brought down their prices, bad grammar, but their prices back down, even as inflation has come down, it's, tr- it's time to stop the price gouging. Give American consumers a break. Look, I want prices down, too. But number one, when the rate of inflation slows down, but it's still going up, why would any sensible person bring prices down? Joe's acting as though, well, when I got inflation down from 9% to 3.5, now you should drop your prices. No, the prices of everything are still going up. And That's Joe right. wants American companies to commit corporate the way, suicide? It's really higher than 3.5. They're, they're gaming I know. the numbers. Yeah. But, but yes, but, but beyond that... Like you said, you know, it's 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 the D.C. thinking, hey, we were going to raise spending by 20 percent and we only raised it by 12. That's a cut. That's that's, that's the way the they same, view it. That's the, that's the same thing. Well, the inflation rate has slowed, has lowered. It's still going up, but it's lowered. So you should lower prices. No, we just won't increase them as fast. No, that's- and the, cum- the cumulative rate, I mean, just so people know, and Seton's right, they leave out food and fuel from the inflation number. It's like, oh, you mean because none of us need energy no, or nobody food? Nobody needs food okay. or fuel, Lars. What are you talking about? No, but food is up 21% since that moron took the oath of office. Rent is up 18%. Electricity is up just shy of 25 and and people have had an average 3% cut in the real value of their paychecks. And Joe Biden is saying, well, this is all because of corporate greed, because he knows that, that there are people out there who don't understand. When the rate of inflation goes down, it doesn't mean prices come down. It just means That's they right. don't go up as fast anymore. Well, well I, I don't know. If I texted you, and you, you were doing your show. I don't know if you saw it. Home sales last oh, quarter. Yep. Were the lowest? They're low. They were lower in the third quarter than at any point since they started recording it in 2001. The National Association of Realtors, and that obviously includes 
the 2008 housing crisis, the housing market just recorded its worst quarter since the, uh, including the 2008 housing crisis. This is all, you know, this is why I, I think, you know, you know, I've spoken. I sold my house at an egregious loss in Texas because I wanted to get out because I thought every subsequent month would make it only make it worse. And this is another factor in he's well jammed up everything in the economy, food, fuel, housing, supply, like rent, yep. uh, supply, the whole supply chain. And and he's random. And like you said, I, I love this. I watch I subject myself to CNBC every every morning whenever they do the jobs numbers. They, they pull out the, the one bad sector. You know, if you take out farming sector, <laughs> take out retail, the numbers are really great. Well, that's part of the economy, you jokesters. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's very selective. And like you said, it's the, it's the classic socialist, collectivist, communist thing of blaming corporate greed. When you, know, you know what I want to see? see I, I gotta, I'm going to hit a break here real soon, but I want to yep. see corporate America come out and unload on that guy and say, how dare you tell us to drop prices while the price, price of everything is still going up, albeit more slowly. But how dare you blame us and call us price gouging? But I don't think corporate America has the guts. The Lars Larson Show. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved Lars. republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Well, the wheels are coming off of Joe Biden's plan to force electric vehicles on American citizens, whether we want them or not. And I'm going to give you the latest evidence so that when your friends from the other side of the aisle, let's say Democrats, uh, if you've got Democrat friends, we all have Democrat friends and acquaintances. I've got Democrat family members, for goodness sake. Uh, but the wheels are really coming off. And when people say, oh, these e-vehicles, it's so exciting. They're going places and they're, you know, we're going to be forced to buy them, but we're being forced because it's for our own good. If you believe that nonsense, I'd be glad to take your phone call as a naysayer. Because on this show, naysayers go to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. That's 866-HEY-LARS. You can also send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you can vote in our Twitter poll. Yeah, I, I kind of like our today. Uh, you know, we, we all take turns, my producers and I, writing the Twitter poll today. Does America need to scale back on the number of legal immigrants that it accepts into the country? We now accept, and we're not talking about the illegal aliens that Joe Biden has invading our southern border. I'm talking about the ones who do it the right way and come here legally. And uh, people say you're anti-immigration. No, not at all. I want people to immigrate here. The question is, how many at one time? We were in the 80s taking about 300,000 legal immigrants per year. Then in the 90s, we were taking about 600,000 per year. And now we're taking well over 1 million per year with all of that and 
Of course, the illegal alien entry facilitated by Joe Biden, head of the Biden crime family, we're taking in millions and millions of both legal and illegal immigrants should we put a limit on the number of people who come in legally. Does America need to scale back on the number of legal immigrants it accepts? I would answer that one, yes. You can answer any way you like. It's brought to you by AMAC, and you can find it at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. AMAC is the Association of Mature American Citizens, and I've been a member for longer than I can remember now. It has the conservative values I believe in, and I'd like to see you join the way I did. It's a great group. AMAC.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC is better, better for you and better for America. But let me tell you why I make the case that the wheels are coming off of Joe Biden's plan to force electric vehicles on Americans, whether they like it or not. And that is bad news for a guy who's facing re-election, or at least an attempt at re-election, 11 months from now. And based on the polls today, he's going to lose in a major league landslide. So he needs some good news, and this is not it. Joe Biden pushed the U.S. Congress to shovel out more than $7 billion in 2021 to build electric car chargers all across America. Say, okay, two years, $7 billion. How many have been built? PoliticoPro.com reported yesterday, two years later, not one single car charger has been built under Joe Biden's crazy scheme. And then I want you to consider the revolt that's underway in America's auto industry. The companies admit that they are losing ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars each on every single e-vehicle car that they make, and they manage to sell to some poor rube out there who buys the e-car, not realizing it doesn't really meet his needs. So the battery buggies are piling up on car lots and in automobile showrooms. And now 3,000 auto dealers have signed a letter to Joe Biden demanding that he back off on his bogus battery plans because they don't make sense. And I would ask you, who better to tell you whether or not e-vehicles are selling to the public? Well, how about the, how about the car dealers? You got 3,000 of them who've signed this letter saying this is not working for us or our customers. Ford Motor Company. The same company that lost about $2 billion last year and lost almost all of it on e-vehicles. They made money on gasoline and diesel. Ford Motor Company demanded that dealers go all in and commit hundreds of millions of dollars to put in the infrastructure to put the e-cars on their lots. Well, 400 of those dealers just sold Ford to pound sand. They're dropping out of the program because customers aren't buying it. And why would any car dealer want to go out and spend a pile of money to make sure they could have the e-cars that they can't sell? You have to wonder what Joe Biden's buddies in Beijing, you know, the same ones that pump tens of millions of dollars into the Biden crime family. What are those folks going to do when the president has to back down on his plans to turn all of our energy and our transportation future over to his Chinese masters? Just think about that for a moment. Glad to get your calls at 866-439-5277. Let's go to Ray in Alabama. Ray, it's Conspiracy Theory Thursday. I'm told you've got a good one. I think I do. You know, I'm going to go back in time here a little bit and talk about a couple of things that I've not heard anybody put together. Okay? Okay. All these uh, files and documents found in Joe Biden's garage, his closet, this, that, and the other, said he doesn't know where they came from. Well, what if he doesn't? Okay? Hunter's been paid all this money 
by the Chinese, Ukraine, the Russians? Is it so inconceivable to think that the Obama White House was accessible by him, and he's the one that got these documents, provided them to the Russians, the Chinese, whatever, and that's why he's paid all this money? Hmm. Well, I, I guess, except for this, Ray, a lot of the documents, by Joe Biden's own account, Joe Biden took home as a U.S. senator up to 50 years ago. Now, if I remember right, Hunter Biden's about 55 or 56 years old. I don't think he was going to the White House or to Joe Biden's Senate office and grabbing documents uh, when he was still in uh, elementary school. Uh, and I don't think you I'm think that I'm not saying all either. of by any means, but, you know. Uh, but I will tell you, I think you're right that the documents were being sold, and here's how they were being sold. Hunter Biden was anxious to impress people in Russia, in Kazakhstan, and uh, and in Ukraine, of course, and China. And how did he do that? A lot of the memos that he wrote to his friends at Burisma, among other companies, but Burisma in particular, the natural gas company in Ukraine, are not just strangely reminiscent of, they are copies uh, not literal carbon copies, but copies of the information that was in briefings given to Joe Biden when he was vice president. And so his son would take that information, use it to impress his friends at Burisma, who were paying him a million dollars a year during the years he was on the board of directors. He would tell them, oh, I completely understand the Ukraine situation with Russia. And then he'd write a memo. And it was basically just stuff he cribbed out of some of the documents that his dad brought home as vice president. And so, and, and did that turn into money? Yeah, it sure did. I mean, the, the, the House Oversight Committee now has bank documents that show that the Biden crime family netted at least, and it may be a lot more, at least $24 million. And then you got jokers like Hakeem Jeffries who are saying, no, there's no sign whatsoever, not a scintilla of evidence that Joe Biden's done anything nefarious. You only believe that if you're a, you know, a yellow dog Democrat. Right. And you think about the WhatsApp message. I'm sitting here with my father, wanting to know where the deal is, where the money, the $5 million is. And he sent that WhatsApp message, and the check arrived, and the money got distributed, and we know where it went, and we know about a quarter million of it at least ended up in Joe Biden's pocket, and Joe Biden needs to answer for that. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. We'll talk Bidenomics next. Stupid. Stupid is forever. But you surely can vote them out. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Well, with the holiday season and the shopping season in particular kind of kicking off because it's post-Thanksgiving, will Americans be paying more for Christmas gifts this year because of Joe Biden's failed economic policies? The perfect person to talk about that is Elaine Parker, our friend who's the president of the Job Creators Network Foundation. Elaine, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Lars. I told my audience that uh, I, I almost couldn't make up stuff this dumb, but Joe Biden uh, today sent out a tweet basically blaming corporate gouging because he says, well, inflation is down, so therefore you should bring prices down. 
Apparently, even Joe Biden or whoever writes his tweets doesn't understand that when inflation goes to a lower rate, the prices are still going up. And that's not a reason for anybody to bring prices down. But uh, I guess blaming corporate America, uh, it will seem like a popular move for some politicians. They apparently, it, apparently it is for Joe. But but Americans are facing some tough, you know, some tough choices this Christmas, aren't they? Absolutely. And and it's important to remember that even though inflation has moderated, inflation is still increasing every month. It's just not increasing as fast as it was a year ago, but it is still going up. And overall, prices are up almost 20 percent since the president took office. And gas is up as much as 50 percent. And today, the the PCE or the personal consumption expenditure report came out and it's really just another gauge for inflation. And what it shows is that, Lars, no surprise, inflation <laughs> remains unacceptably high, and Americans continue to get poorer and poorer. And here's another thing that it shows. It shows that personal income and spending cr- growth declined a lot last month. And that what that suggests is that either consumers are pulling back, or maybe they're actually reaching the limit on their credit cards. And that's what I'm wondering about, because, Elaine, I've had people say, well, why are people running up these big credit card bills? And I said, you know, I think honestly what they're doing is they're trying to maintain the same style of life they had last year and the year before, you know, before the 20 percent increase in all prices. I mean, food's up even more. Food's up 21. um, Rent is up. Everything's up. And and you say, well, but we want to stay level. We don't want to, you know, pull back. And and so we'll just, you know, we'll get ourselves through this period. The problem is Joe Biden was saying in the summer of 2021, six months into his into his term of office, oh, this is temporary. It'll go away. And and that was a lot. I think he knew that wasn't true when he said it. And yet Americans might have taken that to heart and said, oh, OK, well, we'll we'll get ourselves through the tough times and throw it on the credit card and then we'll pay it off when the good times come back. Well, I, I don't think that's happening anytime soon. Absolutely not. And, and and the president, as you know, has embraced Bidenomics and branded it as his own, which, you know, we're thrilled about because he's basically embracing a failed policy. Um, and just to give you an idea of what some of the prices are that everyday ordinary Americans around the country are facing, um, there's a shopper in Missouri who actually published her Walmart receipts showing that she's paying approximately 50 percent more for groceries compared to late 2020. Now, remember, that's right before he took office. Um, Turkey breast and sugar, when you compare them, are up 100%. Ground beef and chicken, 50%. Bread, 30%. That's why people are using their credit cards, because they have too much month at the end of the money. Yeah, and and in fact, Elaine, I got an email from a gentleman the other day, and he's retired. Uh, I don't know him personally, but he said, Lars, I get two turkeys every year. I brine them, and then I put them on my smoker. He says, I just got back from Walmart, two turkeys, five gallons of apple cider for the brining, $130. And he says, I can afford that, but who can afford that kind of price? What working families can do it? He's apparently prosperous. He can afford it. But when I see, you know, for instance, the the report you talked about where 42% of consumers say they plan to spend more this year than last year, well, with inflation, given what it's done in the last two years, 20%, uh, two and a half years, 20 percent, then then let's say it was 10 percent higher last year. If they spent the same amount that they spent last year on Christmas, they'd actually be buying less by by at least 10 percent. 
And and so in order just to stay even, I wonder how many of those consumers say they're going to spend more because they already know it's going to cost them more, even if they get the same amount of gifts or kind of gifts or value of gifts that they got two or three years ago. Yeah, people are spending more because things cost so much more. And this all started when the president came in on day one and he canceled the Keystone Pipeline and began a a persistent war on our domestic energy, which drove up the price of gas and everything else that it takes to get our goods and services to the shelves and ultimately into our homes. And until this president goes back and, and, and starts domestic drilling and allowing us to drill here, remember, we were energy independent under the previous administration. We were actually a net exporter of oil. And now we're, we're energy dependent. I mean, how does that happen in such a short time? And we're, we're importing from countries that don't like us, all in the name of electric vehicles. And people can't even afford them. I and mean, you've got dealers across the country that are signing letter 3700 dealers signed a letter asking the president please stop we can't sell these things no one can even no one can afford them and no one will even test drive them and you know it's funny elaine because i get calls and god bless my listeners i don't expect them all to agree with me but one gentleman called him and said no no electric vehicles they're there they're they're here it's the right time for them i said if it's the right time for them why do they cost 10 or twenty thousand dollars more than a comparable gasoline car because you know, really, Elaine, at the end of the day, I don't care what powers my car. Uh, gasoline and diesel work really well. Electric does not to, to meet my family's needs. So do I care what's what's pushing it down the road? No. But do I care if somebody says you can't buy the electric or you can't buy the gasoline car anymore, can't buy the diesel truck anymore? We have one of each in our family, a gas and a diesel. You must buy the electric. And yet there are people who drank the Kool-Aid and they're saying, no, no, it's the time for all this. And like you said, I've been citing that number. 3,000 dealers sign a letter. 400 Ford dealers actually told the company, we're not going to do what Ford Motor Company is telling its dealers to do, which is go out and spend a whole ton of money on building all the infrastructure. And it apparently takes a lot of infrastructure to feature electric vehicles on your lot. And then we want you to commit to buying a whole bunch of these electric vehicles and 400 of their dealers have said, pound sand, we don't want to do it. We're not going to do it. It doesn't make sense. In the end, the customer is always right, Lars, and they don't want EVs right now. And there may be some customers who want them. I, I'm an all-of-the-above girl, just like you are. I mean, if you want gas, buy a gas-powered car. If you want EV, buy an EV car. But don't force us in a in, and expedite this process in such a way that you're driving up the cost of oil that no one can afford to even put gas in their cars this doesn't hurt the wealthy people to pay, you know, four and five dollars a gallon. It hurts people who are poor and middle class. That's who the, the administration is hurting with these anti-energy policies. Well, and imagine this, Elaine. I got a call from a guy. He said, look, I work at a dealership, at a Ford dealership. And he says, I've got a Ford Lightning that's been sitting in the showroom for the last two months. And I know I, I've never been in the car business, but I know they probably get used to the idea that you come into work today and half the cars that you saw yesterday aren't there anymore because they went out the door with customers. He says he's got e-vehicles, some of the premier e-vehicles that Ford makes, they're just sitting there and have been sitting there for months, which if you're in the car de- car business, you can't have inventory that just sits there and doesn't sell. It has to move. And when it doesn't move, you know there's something wrong with the whole picture. Absolutely. And, and Americans know this. And, and there was a recent NBC poll, NBC News poll that showed only 28 percent of Americans are satisfied 
with um, the president's economy and, and Bidenomics overall. Um, so it, it's very clear. And that, that's why it's, it's no matter how many times the president and his um, administration goes around and tells Americans, you're doing good. I'm telling you, you're doing good. Americans know how they feel and, and the, they just seem to ignore the realities of their uh, policies that are hurting everyday ordinary Americans. No, I think you're right. And, and by the way, sorry. And they're ignoring their role in it. And that's all this reckless spending and anti-energy policies. No, and Jamie Dimon, the head of Chase, I'm not that happy with Chase Bank, but he, he does run one of the biggest banks in the world. And he said, look, we're heading into a recession next year. Get ready for it. So all those people have already filled up their credit card to try and stay level, and they may be heading into even worse economic times. I can't imagine they're going to vote for somebody like Joe Biden. And they certainly wouldn't vote for Kamala Hamas. That's Elaine Parker, president of the Job Creators Network Foundation. Back in a moment, I'll get to your phone calls and emails, and we'll talk about Instagram's algorithm, a toxic mix of kids and adults. The Lars Larson Show. Senator John Kennedy gets it. Mr. President, you just got to try harder not to suck. Well said, Mr. Kennedy. We agree. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you. I'll get to your phone calls in a moment. There are a couple of things I want to mention. First of all, a warm welcome to our newest Lars affiliate. It's the flag, WZFG in Fargo, North Dakota. That's 1100 AM. Glad to have you with us. And, of course, you can hear great talk radio on the flag all day long and my show Monday through Friday. Glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Just one thought. How dangerous do you think it is for Biden literally to have control of the nuclear codes? We always heard that concern from liberals who said, well, Donald Trump's going to get us into more wars. Actually, Donald Trump got us out of conflicts. It's Joe Biden who's getting us into more wars and especially expensive wars. But during a visit to a manufacturing plant in Colorado yesterday, Joe Biden made another crazy remark. And you're not sure how to take these, whether we should look at them as warnings of the president's mental state. While introducing himself to factory workers at CS Wind, the largest wind tower manufacturer in the world, Biden said, My Marine carries that, and he has the code to blow up the world. And then he added nuclear weapons, as though that somehow clarified what he had to say. I don't know what he was talking about. Let me go to your calls first. Let's go to John in Idaho. And if you want to jump in, it's 866-439-5277. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. John, welcome to the program. Thanks for listening on KIDO in Boise. And what's on your mind? Uh, Well, I just wanted to congratulate. Uh, to say thanks for the way you handled that naysayer about the energy uh, questions and where, you know, how it, how the, you know, the, uh, the liberal viewpoint that just doesn't make any sense. And you did a beautiful job with that, as you do with all your naysayer well, calls. Thank, thank I, you for that, because John, I, really enjoy listening. I, I, I should, shouldn't I be able to win on the facts and the law and logic rather than just bluster? And, yes. and when I hear these talking points, yes. that poor gentleman who said, 
well, you know, we're going to run out of oil. And and he didn't like my comparison to, you know, Jimmy Carter back in the 70s saying we'd be out of oil altogether by the 90s, that we would have run out. They they called it peak oil. And then by that time we hit right. the year 2000, we have more proven reserves today than than we ever knew we would have. And, John, a few years, about a decade ago on this show, they were, I was talking to a guy from uh, one of the major oil companies. I don't remember which one it was. And they had just made a major find of one and a half billion barrels of oil. That's a lot of oil. And I said, you know, can you tell my audience, where would you find this oil? And he said, uh, have you ever seen the movie And There Will Be Blood, which is kind of a depressing movie, but it, it does involve the oil business in California and drilling for oil. And I said, yeah, I've seen the movie. And he said, well, you remember the oil field that that guy had that ran dry? And I said, yeah. And the guy ended up with no money and all that. And uh, he said, we found our find under that field. And I said, well, help us understand why were you, why didn't they find it back when that guy was? And he said, they couldn't drill that deep. They couldn't, they didn't have the technology. But when people tell me, the, the man was right when he said, well, there's a finite amount of oil. Well, the sun is finite as well, as a number of people have pointed out. Um, everything is finite at some level. But, you know, the question I was asking him was, do we have enough oil to last the next two or 300 years? And the answer is yes. Are we using it more efficiently today than we have ever used oil in history? And the answer is yes. We have more efficient machines that use oil energy more efficiently than they've ever been used before. And he seems to think that, well, you know, one of these days we'll run out of oil, so we have to switch to electric now long before we're out of oil, which to me makes no sense at all. And I was telling my producer, Joel, do you know there was a time, John, when America worried that we were going to run short of whale oil because whale oil was used <laughs> for lamps. It was used for a bunch of things. And the answer is that, Amer that, that human beings are endlessly inventive. And when you run out of something or run short of something, human beings have always been able to figure out workarounds and ways to replace what you were using. There was a time when America used a huge amount of, of trees to cook, mm -hmm. to heat homes, predominantly wood-heated homes for most Americans, and to put railroad ties down. You say, what are they doing now? Well, they make railroad ties in a lot of cases out of concrete now and other materials. And we don't use, we use wood for fires in homes for fun. Well, we have a fireplace. We like to put a, a wood fire in there because it smells great and it's fun. But we're not using it as our primary source of heat. And the vast majority of Americans don't use it as a primary source for heat, for cooking, or any of those other things. So we're not going to run out of trees. The estimates are that about 20 years ago, America had more standing timber uh, in America than there was when Columbus, you know, touched down not not far from what is now America. And so why is he worried? For some reason, they've convinced themselves that Joe Biden knows everything about everything and that his push to say, I'm going to make you drive an electric car. I'm going to make you electrify your house and I'm going to make you stop using the fuels that God gave us in abundance in this country. Oil, natural gas, uranium, the whole nine yards. And yet, for some reason, we're supposed to deny or it'd be like having a man who's sitting at his sitting in his living room and he's starving to death, literally starving to death. And he has a refrigerator full of food. But he's told himself for some weird reason, I can't touch any of the food in the fridge. I have to sit here and starve to death. Yeah. 
I mean, right. Regarding the whale oil, I'll bet that yeah. was that w- they thought that before uh, the automobile was invented. Probably, yeah, because what, maybe the 1870s or in something? the late 1800s, early, early 1900s. I can't remember the first year they found oil in Pennsylvania where it was literally so close to the ground they didn't have to go very far. But as soon as petroleum mm-hmm. products and refined petroleum products like kerosene became common, of course, that was, you know, uh, what was it? Atla- Atlanta, uh, uh, Standard oil, standard oil sold kerosene. And, uh, you know, so the concern was we're going to run out of whale oil. What will we use then? And the answer is, we'll find something. The problem is that almost all of the Greens believe in a kind of energy future for America in which we deny ourselves the best sources of energy that are right at our disposal and that they want to follow Joe Biden down a path. And I can't emphasize this enough, John, knowing that the Biden crime family has been bought off by China for the most part. I mean, they got some money other places, but knowing they're bought off by China Does it seem strange that China, which doesn't have a lot of oil, doesn't have a lot of coal, doesn't have a lot of those things, and we do, is telling Americans through Joe Biden and through environmental groups that are funded out of China, stop using all the things you have in abundance, use the stuff we make for you, windmills and solar panels, instead. And you say, well, if it's so good, why aren't you using it, China? Why are you building coal-fired electric plants? Why are you building nuclear-powered electric plants? And the answer is they want to sell us solar panels and windmills, which are not a good solution right right now. Now, could they become uh, something to augment our power supply? Sure. Uh, But but are, are they going to be the solution to run a modern industrialized country? I don't think people realize how much of these energy, these decisions that are being made right now, that are decisions that can't quickly be undone. I mean, you could decide, you know, this year that you really like a certain kind of product. And next year you can, you know, I like wool, so I'm going to wear wool shirts and wool pants. Okay, next year I don't like it, I can go to cotton next year. You make decisions when it comes to energy. These are decisions that can't be undone for decades and once we've made them and once we've sunk all this money into them, you're going to have a real problem. John, I appreciate the phone call yeah. and I appreciate the compliment. It was a very nice compliment. I try to handle naysayers in a sensible way. Uh, by the way, there's one other thing I want to make sure that, oh, well, we're going to hit the break. We'll get back to you in just a second on that. Sometimes I do that. Coming up in just a moment, is China purposely running an operation to get Americans hooked on drugs that come from China? Trust and reminding you of the principles this country was founded on. The world's going crazy and they lying to us. Don't know who to believe, so in God we trust. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Well, when Chairman Z visited uh, San Francisco and Joe Biden went to meet him, and San Francisco had cleaned up the entire city, I kind of wish they'd left it in the state it was in so that Joe Biden, if he had any guts or any backbone, could have said to Chairman Z, 
Take a look at all those people. Most of them living on the streets here are there because of the drugs that originate in your country. But I guess that wouldn't have been the politic thing to say. I thought we'd talk to John Solomon about whether or not China is deliberately running an operation to get Americans hooked on drugs that are debilitating and bring a lot of damage and violence to American communities. John, welcome back. Great to be with you. So what is the evidence we have that this isn't just happening uh, where precursor chemicals come from China to Mexico, but China may be doing this as a deliberate strategy to weaken the United States? Yeah, that's absolutely right. The evidence is uh, uh, comes in the form of many arrests in the last year across the country, from California to Maine, um, that where uh, illegal pot operations and other drug operations were rolled up by law enforcement. Uh, and in all those cases, a Chinese national, sometimes an illegal alien Chinese national, has been arrested by either local or federal authorities. Uh, after these arrests started to pick up just a few weeks ago, uh, the Department of Homeland Security issued uh, a bulletin, and it is a pretty remarkable thing. It's unclassified, but it says that Chinese nationals are operating 270 properties for illegal marijuana simply in Maine, just in Maine alone, not in the other parts of the country. They sent out a warning, intelligence warning, to uh, law enforcement uh, nationwide to be on the lookout for Chinese illegal operations. Now, a couple days ago, I interviewed the former intelligence or excuse me special operations chief for the drug enforcement administration our, our main drug fighting agency in the federal government uh and derek mall said listen i have no doubt i've seen all the evidence i'm working with families who are the victims of these operations china has made a deliberate um decision a, a de- decision of the communist run country that it wants to hook americans on drugs as part of a way to destabilize the united states and, and make it more vulnerable uh, from an economic and perhaps a security perspective. He's very clear about it, said on the record about it. Several law enforcement officials I've talked to who've rolled up these Chinese um, operations say, yep, that's what we think too. That's what the evidence shows. This isn't an act. A lot of these people that we arrested, they had direct connections to either transnational organizations, meaning criminal organizations, gangs in China, or the Chinese government. So very significant concerns, very significant evidence a lot of discussion in law enforcement, almost none of it in the Biden administration or in the news media. And yet, John, wouldn't I mean, if we still have intelligence agencies that are not just focused on domestic politics in the United States, yeah. they should be able to tell us that they're finding some evidence or some connections to say this isn't just people trying to make a lot of money in the illicit drug trade in America. These are people yeah. who are being facilitated by the Chinese Communist government. And in addition to all the precursor chemicals that end up in Mexico, I, I refuse to believe that a country that's capable of shutting down entire cities, you know, a, a, a commanding control kind of economy like they have in China. Right. But they say, oh, but we can't figure out how to stop the fentanyl, which is made illegally or the precursor chemicals and then stop them from going to Mexico. That doesn't add up, does it? It doesn't. And that's what the DEA, uh, the first document I found in my research on this story was written in 2016 by the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration, and it laid out in very great detail how these Asian transcriminal organizations, uh, often uh, in conjunction with the Chinese government, they recruit Asian Americans, they blend into their existing immigrant communities, and then they begin uh, developing and growing illegal drugs and then distributing them and getting them into the hands of immigrant Americans. Uh, eventually, they start crossing state lines to conduct further operations 
a very uh, clear understanding the DA had of what China was doing. Certainly, the Biden White House must need, must know this. But you heard you hardly heard a word of this when he was meeting with President Xi. Maybe all that money that the China family got, that Biden family got from China, is the reason why. Here, so many people wonder aloud, say, "Is Joe Biden soft on China just because of the millions of dollars that Hunter Biden got?" That has sunk into the national consciousness, and I think a lot of people have that as a question. Now, why is Joe Biden weak on China? Maybe it was all that money. I think the president one day is going to be asked that by Congress. And by the way, John, have you seen what Hakeem Jeffries, reliable left-wing Democrat, said about the uh, the proof uh, about the Biden crime family's activities? I think he said it yesterday. <laughs> have you seen that? <laughs> I huh? have. Listen. Okay. Um, I mean, I'll tell I, you what. Let me ask Joel. Let me ask yeah. my producer. Joel, can we run that Hakeem Jeffries bite? Because I want people to hear this is... This is worse, and I know I'm dating myself, John, by saying worse than Sergeant Schultz and Hogan's Heroes. This is a guy <laughs> who says, no, I don't. I don't. Joel, do we have that soundbite? Because, okay, let's play it. There's not a scintilla of evidence that Republicans have produced to show that President Joe Biden has engaged in wrongdoing, an impeachable offense, or in any way has broken the law. Unbelievable. I mean, this this is the this is their plan. It's just to gaslight Americans saying, yeah, all the best stacks of bank records that you've talked to us about money transfers of millions of dollars, canceled checks with Joe Biden's signature on them. And despite all that, the Democrats say we don't we don't see any proof. There's nothing to see here. Well, think about the document that James Comer released yesterday that Justin News was the first to report. It is a document that shows that a major bank that was handling Hunter Biden's accounts had grave suspicions about five a $5 million loan that comes in from a Chinese energy company connected to the Chinese Communist government. It comes in, it gets divvied up into Hunter Biden's account. Uh, then it gets divvied down further. Some of it goes to James Biden. Some of the money that goes to James Biden goes directly to Joe Biden. What did the bank say about this? In 2018, long before Joe Biden told us any questions about his family were conspiracy theories, the bank said, hey, this looks like money laundering. Hey, uh, there's no loan documents to justify that there's a loan. The money goes into businesses that have no business going on. And, oh, this looks like a Chinese effort to gain influence with a politically connected family. That is an independent bank, a money laundering expert, calling balls and strikes. The only people that don't see it are Democrats and Joe Biden. The banking committee, the law enforcement, Congress, the American public see it. And imagine this, John. Think of what better way to put money in your pocket and not have the IRS pay attention to it Loans are not income. You don't have to declare them. But if they're loans where the understanding is we're getting a $5 million loan and no one in China ever expects us to pay it back. So it's just yeah. income. Well, you don't have to tell the IRS about it because it's just a loan that you have to pay back someday, sometime in the future, say hundreds of years from now. John, you do great work at Just the News. We're always glad to have you on. Thank you so very much. Thank you, my friend. That is John Solomon. By the way, you want to get in touch with this show? Easy to do. I try to make myself the most contactable person in talk radio. 866-A-LARS. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Check out my Instagram feed. You can send me the emails. You can do that. You can even tell Alexa to play the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Kids heal fast. Okay, it's a nice ride. It's going to happen. Stand by playback. I know. Lars. 
I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the program. Glad to have you with me. And if you want to jump into the best conversation and talk journalism, I want to talk a little bit about health care. Because I read something today, and it was written by a doctor. And he's actually an MD, so he's in family medicine. Uh, and he's pointed out that there are a number of ways that the healthcare institutions, hospitals, doctors, and the rest, are gaming the system in a way that drives costs up at the same time that politicians are telling us, and they're right, that one of the biggest challenges America has right now is a gigantic increase in the cost of health care. But let me get to that in a moment. First, if you want to join the best conversation and talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you happen to be a naysayer and you disagree with me, we're going to put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. You can send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com and vote in our Twitter poll. We put up a brand new question written from the news of the day every day at Lars Larson Show on X or Twitter. Twitter, uh, and also on our website at LarsLarson.com. So this doctor is Dr. Josh Umber. He's a, an MD in Wichita, Kansas. And he's actually pointed out something that I wasn't aware of, and I follow healthcare issues about as closely as I think I can. He wrote at Real Clear Healthcare, but he says, we've got a problem. He says, the United States is facing a healthcare affordability crisis with inflation, get this, likely to drive costs up by 6.5% next year. Now, if you thought they weren't high enough already, another 6.5% just next year. And he says, while Americans worry about the rising cost of medical care, many of the underlying causes of high prices are overlooked. Bad government policies, especially Medicare reimbursement policies, uh, are fostering an environment of consolidation, leading to higher prices that hurt everybody. So, in other words... Who's to blame for some of the health care increases? You can blame the doctors, you can blame the hospitals, but in this case, Dr. Umber is pointing out that it's government that is driving the cost higher. Now, Medicare, I'm not on Medicare, so I don't have a dog in the fight, but Medicare accounts for about 25% of all the health care expenditures in the entire country. And they cover a population that, because older Americans have Medicare, typically they use the system a lot. Individuals over 65 are only 17% of the population. They are 35% of all health care spending. So they're basically punching above their weight by about 100% and then some. So he says the structure of Medicare requires the government dictate the prices it will pay as well as the out-of-pocket co-pays that patients have to pay. Now, to, to do that, he says Medicare ought to focus on patient care and reimburse doctors and medical practices the same amount. You say, well, don't they pay the same amount? And the answer is no. And I, this is the part I didn't know about because I don't, I don't go that far down the rabbit hole. He says Medicare bases reimbursement on the type of provider. So in other words, if you go to a doctor's office and you get a certain kind of medical care that's provided for you, and then you go to a hospital and you get the very same kind of medical care provided at a hospital, 
When the patient gets medical services from a facility owned by a hospital, Medicare reimburses at a higher rate than if the, the service was provided at private practice. So in other words, the system is biased against standalone doctors or doctors in private practice. It is biased in favor of these major institutions. And what seems crazy, when I read that, I thought, well, that seems crazy because if anything, if you're a hospital, you get certain economies of scale. You want to know about what economies of scale are? Look at Walmart. When Walmart can go out and buy 10,000 of something, they get it at a better price than the store that buys 10 of them. So economies of scale are that. You've got a major institution. It has all the medical tools. It's got various different departments for you know treating different kinds of illnesses and ailments. It has a steady stream of people coming through. A standalone doctor's office is not that. It doesn't have the major institution. It doesn't have all the medical tools available to it. It doesn't have the economies of scale where you're treating maybe thousands of patients in a day, where the average doctor may treat a few dozen patients in a day. So you'd almost think that the hospitals would get lower reimbursement. But I suspect that the hospitals have better lobbyists on Capitol Hill. So what he points out, he says it creates an unintended incentive. Actually, I'd call it a moral hazard. If a hospital goes out and buys a private medical practice, then that private doctor's office will be considered part of its outpatient department. So in other words, the minute the hospital buys the doctor's office, the amount of money that the the provider gets for a given service goes up simply because it became part of the hospital and the Medicare reimbursement rates are higher for hospitals. In one report to Congress on Medicare, they said in recent years, the number of services billed in, they're called HOPDs, hospital outpatient departments, has been increasing, while the number of services provided in freestanding offices have been declining. Now, if you've ever had that, you know, the, the reaction of saying, hey, I, went, I, I want to get an appointment with my doctor. Well, he's too busy. It may take three or four or five weeks. Okay, you have to go to the hospital, to the emergency room or to urgent care, one of those places instead. It's pushing patients away from standalone doctors and pushing them in the direction of these hospital outpatient departments. Uh, what he suggests, what Dr. Umber suggests, he says Congress should mandate that Medicare implement site-neutral reimbursement. In other words, if you're doing a particular medical treatment of a patient, you get paid the same whether you're a hospital or a standalone doctor's office. Site-neutral payments, he says, would remove the incentive for hospitals to buy up all these small practices and keep healthcare costs from rising. Understand that if you've got all these standalone doctor's offices or a doctor's office that, say, has two or three doctors who practice together as a group, well, the hospital has an incentive to buy that practice because then they can get the patients that go with it and they get the higher reimbursement rates. But what do you get when you get on the phone or you get online and you say, I want to find an, an appointment with a doctor, you know, a doctor who doesn't work at the hospital? You find, well, they're, they're diminishing. There aren't as many of them anymore. And you end up stuck with going to the major institution where the costs are going to be higher. And what they've estimated is that changing this and saying it's it's neutral. You get paid the same amount whether the service is provided at a standalone doctor's office or at a hospital because it would reduce incentives for hospitals to acquire physician practices and bill for services under the usually higher-paying outpatient provider fees. It anticipates Medicare beneficiaries would be better off under site neutrality. 
a 2023 study said if they went to this, just one change, not in doctors, not in pharmaceuticals, not in hospitals, but in the government, in Medicare, if Medicare changed the way it pays for services, it would result in a $231 billion savings, almost a quarter of a trillion dollars over the next 10 years, and $152 billion in savings for patients, all totaled $400 billion per year, Four trillion over ten, or uh, four billion, four hundred billion over ten years. This is what's crazy. When the government says we're here from the government to help you, <laughs> and then they say we're going to screw the system up even worse than it is already. And you're listening to the Lars Larson Show. Lighting a fire under those who need it. You know who you are. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's easy. 866-HEY-LARS. And naysayers go to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. You can vote in our Twitter poll at Lars Larson Show. Or you can go to my website. The vote counts the same at LarsLarson.com. It's been too long since I've talked to our friend KT McFarland, former Deputy National Security Advisor under President Trump, but someone who also worked under the now late Henry Kissinger, who passed away at the age of 100. We got the word of that last night. KT, welcome back to the program. Uh, I'm sorry for his oh, passing. It's an but honor. I, wa- I wanted to get your, oh, it's not an honor. It's just, I, I get to pick your brain on the smart stuff because you're the smart <laughs> one. Um, but, but tell me this, KT McFarland, by the way, you see her on Fox. You see you, she's written a number of books. Um, but I want to know your view of, of Kissinger. Should we view him as, let's see, Chris Hitchens thought he was a war criminal. Uh, and others have suggested he was the savior of the modern world and pulled America's bacon out of the fire in uh, in the 70s. Well, he was actually my first boss. I don't know if you know that, Lars. I started working for Henry Kissinger when I was a freshman in college as a nighttime secretary in the White House Situation Room. So I've known him for my, well, for 45, 50 years. He was first my boss for seven years in the Nixon and Ford administrations, and then became a mentor as I went on to graduate school and other jobs in the Reagan and and, and other administrations, and um, and finally became a very close friend. Um, I think that his legacy is mixed, as you say, but it's a weird legacy because the left doesn't like him because they're so mad about the Vietnam War, which Kissinger um, negotiated the end of. The left didn't like him because he he negotiated a solution that was a good solution from the United States perspective. The right doesn't like him because he had a detente with the Soviet Union and arms control agreements when the, the right says, well, we should have defeated the Soviet Union or Kissinger wasn't tough enough on the Soviet Union. And then people today say, well, he was too soft on China. I think put him in the context of his time. In the 1970s, he came into office in 1969, 
the United States was just a few years away from the Cuban Missile Crisis, mm-hmm. where we almost went to a nuclear war with the Soviet Union. So for Kissinger to pursue a lessening of tensions with the Soviet Union and arms control agreements, that was a pretty good thing to do. We were not in a position to defeat them in the Cold War as we were later in the Reagan administration. And as far as China, I think, again, it was the right thing to do in the context of the time, because China was going to modernize and enter the, the big world somehow or other, and better that they did it with us than, than doing it with the Soviet Union. Our whole goal since the end of World War II is to divide and prevent a China-Russia alliance, because that's I, very difficult for the U.S., and that's what Kissinger broke. Nixon helped him. Reagan did it finally, and of course now that Biden has welcomed in a Russia-China alliance, which is very bad for the U.S., yeah, it is. And in fact, we're in we're in really tough times right now because we've got a president who's managed to get us into, well, I guess now three potential conflicts, uh, Ukraine, uh, ongoing uh, Hamas and Israel, in which Joe Biden doesn't seem to be nearly uh, uh, nearly anti-terrorist enough by, you know, by in my book. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's there's China and Taiwan uh, that, that may be in the offing because Joe Biden has projected American weakness. Yeah. And it feeds on itself. You know, if our adversaries sense weakness, hesitation, dysfunction at home, a weak leader, as typified by Biden's very physical presence, what do they do? They think, well, this is our time. Let's go after him. And if the United States is, okay, so we just got out of, of Afghanistan. That was a, a, just, a, just a disaster in every which way. And then all the other countries of the world saying, hmm, maybe this is our moment. So Russia, Putin invades Ukraine. So China. China's looking very aggressively towards Taiwan. In the Middle East, the bad guys, led by Iran and Iran's money, let's go after Israel. And the whole tragedy of it is it's so easy to fix, and it's so just the Biden administration just refuses to do it. In the Trump administration, we understood that American energy and developments and advances in American oil and natural gas and fracking gave us the ability to be the world's energy source. We have enough energy and oil and natural gas in the U.S. to power the world for hundreds of years. And we can do it cheaper and better and safer than anybody else. And we were well on the way to doing that. It was terrific for our economy, and it bankrupted the bad guys. Russia, bankrupt during the Trump administration years. Iran, bankrupt. China, dependent on U.S. energy, potentially on U.S. energy advances. And yet Biden comes in, reverses it all. And where are we? As you just pointed out, potentially three wars around the world. I'm talking to former Deputy National Security Advisor under President Trump, K.T. McFarlane. Um, so, K.T., back to Henry Kissinger, uh, who's passing yesterday. I, I, I read about it, I, you know, at 100. Uh, even, even people have written about seeing him in his last weeks or months uh, said, you know, they knew he wouldn't be around for uh, forever. Mm-hmm. Um, why did he play such a signature role in American foreign policy for, for fi- basically for 50 years? At first, he did as national security advisor in the Nixon and Ford administration, and I do think that was the golden era of American diplomacy, opening to China, Vietnam peace accords, Middle East peace, arms control agreements with the Soviet Union. But I think that what happened after that is even more significant in a lot of ways for the last 50 years, is that Kissinger, because after he left office, he didn't just fade away, after he left office, he continued to go around the world and and talk to and work with foreign leaders. So he became the most important back channel of any leaders in the, in the United States and the world. You know, if the president of the United States can't say everything he might want to say to the prime minister of Israel or to the president of China. 
But a Kissinger could say those things unofficially. And I think he played a very big role in assuring the Israelis that we were behind them and telling the Chinese leadership, well, do worry about that, don't worry about that. And then he was able to come back to the U.S., to the presidents of the U.S. and national security advisors, Republican and Democrat alike, and say, look, this is what you ought to watch out for. This is what the Chinese really need. So I think he's played a very important role in, in world diplomacy in the last 40 years, and one whose absence will be greatly missed, particularly as I think we enter a scary time with China. Is that why he was accept his advice was accepted by both Republicans and Democrats? Because you don't see a lot of, of major league political figures who are, who, you know, they're either on one side or the other side, but they don't talk to both sides for the most part. And you're absolutely right. And, and the thing about Kissinger is he would never endorse a candidate, Republican or Democrat. He'd never endorse in a primary election. But he always said, and he, and he, and something that he's, told me and others that we should do is always be open. Always be anybody who wants your advice, give them your advice. It doesn't matter which party, because at the end of the day, it's America's foreign policy. And foreign policy should find an agreement within the the United States leadership. We don't. We don't ever seem to, but we should and could. Well, since you were his friend, KT, I'm curious, what did he make of the Abraham Accords and about the potential that President Trump said to Americans, there's four more treaties we could get but it'll be dependent on what Joe Biden does. And, of course, it sounds like Joe Biden just basically kicked that whole idea to the curb, that he didn't want them, even though Trump had Mm -hmm. been more successful than most presidents in getting things done in the Middle East. Okay, so Kissinger understood that in the Middle East, the key to peace and prosperity, the key to prosperity was peace. So in the first Yom Kippur War in 1973, when the Arab countries all invaded Israel, and Kissinger was called by Golda Meir, who was the, Prime Minister of Israel at the time, you know, how can you how can you help us? Can you give us weapon supplies? Can you conduct some diplomacy? And Kissinger understood that there had to be a leader in the region, Arab leader, who was willing to find a, a way to peace, and that was Anwar Sadat. So Kissinger had shuttle diplomacy between Israel and Egypt, and in a given day he would go. He spent more than a month in the Middle East, where in the morning he would be in Israel, and in the afternoon he would be. In Egypt. And then the next morning he would be in Syria. And he worked with all those leaders to find a ceasefire and a way to peace. That was their goal for peace and prosperity. The Abraham Accords similarly is the goal of the Arab countries now. Egypt has already has peace with Israel. But the Gulf Arab countries, including Saudi Arabia, they realize that their only, only pathway to peace is, is prosperity. And that would be, again, peace with Israel. Yeah, absolutely right. That's KT McFarland, former Deputy National Security Advisor under President Trump. KT, thank you very much. We'll be back in a moment. I'll get to your phone calls and your emails at 866-HEY-LARS. I'm not afraid of social media. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all the other social media. And tell Alexa to play The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Like a 
This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you and always glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Emails go to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our Twitter or X poll at Lars Larson Show. And join me in welcoming Steve Malloy, former member of Donald Trump's EPA transition team and founder of JunkScience.com. Steve, how are you? I'm doing great, Lars. Thanks for having me. I got to tell you something. There are times as a reporter, and I still consider myself a talk journalist, an opinion journalist, when you say, no, no, the facts couldn't be that clear cut. Because usually there are complications around the edges. But what I'm, what I'm talking about is Congress allocates $7.5 billion to build electric car charges, which is being done, you know, in, by, in other programs. It's being done by private companies. It's being forced on developers. I mean, they're building car chargers in a lot of places. They allocate $7.5 billion. Two years goes by. And not a single car charger gets actually built and installed. It can't be that clean, can it? Why not? Welcome to the government. <laughs> yeah. No, look, uh, you know, Joe Biden got the inflation reduction package passed last year, and there were some, you know, legislation before that, and, and Congress was just throwing billions and billions of dollars at this climate stuff. And uh, if nothing else, it's just literally too much money for just a handful of people to spend. I, you know, uh, the person in the White House responsible for spending this money is John Podesta. And, of course, John Podesta is not interested in building EV charging stations. He's interested in getting Joe Biden elected in 2024. So he's got to spend the money in places that's going to help him the most, which has got nothing to do with EVs. You know, that whole inflation reduction package, the $369 billion dollars, um, you know, uh, politicians call it walking around money. <laughs> it's just money you hand out to your friends to vote for you. It's that, got that, yeah, to that do used to be the term they'd use when they go yeah. down by the polling places back in the day and say, here, here's $5 of walking around money, but just yeah. remember who to vote for when you go in and mark your ballot back in the yeah. days when we actually marked ballots at polling places. Yeah, yeah. So none, none of this money is um, earmarked to improve anybody's life or improve the climate or anything like that. It's it's all just political spending. So am I surprised to find out that seven and a half billion have been allocated and not a not a station has been built? No. <laughs> well, it's kind of what I expect. That- but, Steve, here's what struck me as really strange. When you read Politico Pro actually broke the, the story. Uh, I, I don't know if you had it ahead of them, but I know they had it yesterday. And they said a couple of things about how, number one, they, they were, you know, sort of uh, delegating it. They were saying, we're going to send it out to the states, then the states will get it done. Well, if they agreed in 2021 to spend the money and seven and two years goes by, two and a half years goes or two years at least have gone by, and, and they haven't built a single one, even though they sent the money to the states, but the states, I guess in most cases, haven't even started to issue the contracts to say build this with the money they've been sitting on for some time. But the other piece to this that I found really bizarre, because it's, it's almost counterintuitive to if you actually want people to use electric cars. I'm not a fan. I don't think they're ready for prime time. And I don't think the government should be involved. I want exactly the same number of electric car charging stations as we have government-subsidized gasoline or diesel stations, <laughs> which would be zero, other than the ones on military bases. So... Um, but they said, we're going to build them, and you can see the politics in this. We're going to put them in rural areas, 
And I thought, hold on a second. Most of the people who live in rural areas who have to drive long distances, and I have a lot of friends in that case, aren't, uh, they're going to be the ones who stay away from e-vehicles the most because they say these don't meet our needs, especially the ones that have right. farms and ranches and have to tow equipment with pickup trucks and things like that. You say they're definitely not going to want an e-vehicle, and we're going to spend them in, in uh, disadvantaged neighborhoods. And I said, oh, you're going to go put a car charger into a neighborhood where the people are least likely to have the money <laughs> to spend $65,000 on an electric car? So you're going to put the yeah. electric car chargers where they're least likely to ever be used? Well, Lars, none of this makes any sense. Uh, it's why all Republicans opposed uh, all this legislation. Because um, it, 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 it has nothing to do with getting people in EVs. It's all just about... Uh, you know what? I think we dropped the connection with Steve. I just heard it go. Had, uh, Joel, can you double-check that connection? I think Steve's cell phone may have given up. But let's check and see if we can get him back. Because... I think he's right. This is all about politics. It's saying $7.5 billion, can we use that to maybe get Joe reelected in that unlikely event? That doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, it does make sense that it would be spent on politics. But if you spend the money politically and you say we're going to put the money in the rural areas where people are least likely to own one of the electric cars, we're going to put them in urban neighborhoods or disadvantaged communities, uh, places that have high numbers of, of people who are at low income, and you really expect that those are the people who are going to be buying an electric car and need to car charge it somewhere near their home? Instead of actually saying, and this would be the way to do it, say, let's go out and put the car chargers where they are most likely to benefit the greatest number of people. The problem is for Joe, politically, that doesn't work because it doesn't do any, it, it doesn't allow him to pad the pockets of the people who would get those contracts. Steve, sorry about the lost connection, no but, problem. but tell me this. So, so what ends up happening to this money? They're just going to, like most government make-work prog uh, programs, they're just going to blow this money. It's not going to actually benefit too many people at all, uh, but it might get, might help Joe Biden in election time. Yeah, this money is going to be spent to get Biden reelected. Um, unless, unless Congress claws it back, I mean, there, you know, I think about $80 billion of this, uh, of, the, uh, of this money has already been spent, so there's a lot more to spend. Uh, unless Congress claws it back, it's just going to be wasted by John Podesta on behalf of Joe Biden's political prospects. Um, it, you know, this it, this is just is terrible. We're we're you know stealing money from taxpayers, borrowing other money from China, and it's all just for political purposes. It's got nothing to do with improving anything. See, but I would think that even if all they were trying to do is convince people we're we're all in for electric vehicles. Yeah. How hard, I mean, if you told me, Steve, Lars, here's some money. I know you don't like car charges, but if you can get one installed in your front driveway, I'll bet I could find a company that would sell me a car charger, maybe even the commercial variety that can take payments and things like that. This isn't rocket science, is it? Well, for them, it is. Um, I, I, I can't explain why they're, they're so incompetent, uh, but they are, and I'm not surprised. I mean, they have... I mean, look! Look at who is uh, president and vice president of the country, for God's sake. True. That, <laughs> now that. we we imagine there's somebody in charge. Are you kidding me? Well, the other piece I wanted to ask you about, Steve, because I noticed a pattern. You got three thousand auto dealers that sign a letter saying, "Back off this stuff. This is going to be trouble for us." You got the automakers that say we're losing thousands or tens of thousands on every single e-car we make and sell because they're not selling for what it costs us to make them. And then you had four hundred 
Ford dealers who just said, we're dropping out of your e-vehicle program because it's, it's, it's a loser for us. We're not going to do it. And they told, you know, Ford Motor, they, they're telling the company that makes the cars they sell at the Ford dealership, we don't want any part of this. This sounds like the wheels are starting to come off. Well, I think you're right. Um, you know, this is EVs are going to go down in textbooks as a classic case of failed industrial policy, centrally planned industrial policy. Nobody wants these things. They cost too much. They're inconvenient. There's no demand. The government is, um, you know, forcing them down, forcing forcing car dealers to sell this stuff, forcing car companies to make them, dealers to sell them. It's not working out. Uh, you know, EPA's got Joe Biden has got this whole mechanism in place to basically ban gasoline-powered cars by 2032. Uh, but nobody wants the alternative. So what's going to happen? You know, Ford lost thirty-six thousand dollars per last month. Unbelievable! Thirty-six thousand. Every single one you make and sell, you lose thirty-six thousand. And Joe Biden says, "I know." We'll sell twice as many and make it up in volume. Back in a moment, you got the Lars Larson Show. So tell Alexa to play the Lars Larson Show. And check me out on Instagram. speaks truth daily and so does denzel if you don't read the newspaper you're uninformed if you do read it you're misinformed and tell the truth not just to be first but to tell the truth oh and this one anything you practice you'll get good at including bs more truth now this is the lars larson show not a scintilla of evidence that republicans have produced to show that president joe biden has engaged in wrongdoing an impeachable offense, or in any way has broken the law. Isn't that amazing? Hakeem Jeffries, reliable Democrat from the left who's a member of Congress, who says there's no evidence whatsoever. I mean, these folks, in the next 11 months or so, I would warn you to expect that Democrats are going to do everything they can to simply say, you know, I'm putting my hands over my ears and I'm going to say, la, 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 I'm not listening to you. Because if you may understand this, in the last year, we've found out so much more about what Joe Biden and the Biden crime family have been up to. As a member of Congress put it to me this week, a year ago, we thought the Biden crime family or we could prove that the Biden crime family had received a million dollars. As of today, we know the Biden crime family received at least twenty four million dollars from foreign companies, foreign countries, foreign sources of all of that money that it was being paid from places like Ukraine, from Kazakhstan. Uh, it was being paid from Moscow. Uh, it was being paid uh, from Beijing and it was being paid through illicit means. And we know more about that today than we knew about it just a year ago. And there's no guarantee. In fact, I think it's fairly certain that over the next 12 months, we're going to find out even more. They have bank records. They have emails, calls, photos, texts, visitor logs, sworn witness testimony, all of which says the Biden crime family for years engaged in peddling influence on behalf of Joe Biden for the benefit of Joe Biden and that some of the money went to President Joe Biden. We've got 
just mountains of evidence right now and more on the way. Let me get into the details on that. But first, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. If you want to jump into the best conversation and talk journalism, it's always right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you disagree with that, if you say, well, Joe Biden, he hasn't done anything wrong. So his son got $24 million for not doing anything at all. Well, that shouldn't matter. Even if his son and his brother were writing Joe Biden checks in one case for 40000 one case for $200,000, and that those checks were written within days of the Biden crime family operation receiving millions of dollars from places like communist China, why that doesn't connect to Joe Biden at all. If you want to be that kind of naysayer, I'll put you right to the head of the list at 866-439-5277. You can vote in our Twitter poll. You'll find the daily question every day from the news of the day at Lars Larson Show on X or Twitter. You can also find it on our website at LarsLarson.com. But Hakeem Jeffries, now, he says that President Joe Biden is a good man. Listen to this. President Biden is a good man. He's a good and decent and hardworking man. And that's been his entire life. Uh, excuse me, but Joe Biden has never had a real job in the private sector. Not once. He went to college. He came out of college, got into politics. Uh, he ran. He has been in the U.S. Senate for decades. He was vice president for eight years. He's now been president for about three years. I mean, you can see the damage around America that's been caused by Joe Biden. And why? Because the Biden crime family is beholden to a lot of foreign governments. For example, just this week, the House Committee on Oversight and Accountability, Chairman James Comer, he's a Republican from Kentucky. He released an email from a bank. Uh, from a money laundering investigation. And this was happening five years ago in 2017. This bank investigator said, I've got some concerns. There are these huge amounts of money, in one case, $5 million, that was transferred in from China to one shell company, moved to another shell company, moved to another shell company, and then the vast majority of it, about $3 million, ended up in a law firm that was owned by, guess who? Hunter Biden. And then he also showed the $40,000 check that Joe Biden signed his name to that was written to him by his brother James, uh, James Biden and, uh, and his sister-in-law, Sarah Biden, in the form of a personal check. And the money that landed in Joe Biden's bank account, it came through all these complicated financial transactions, eventually led to him. And then Hunter Biden wires $150,000 to another shell company owned by the president's brother, James, and his sister-in-law. And then Sarah Biden withdraws $50,000 in cash from the Lion Hall Group and deposits the money into her personal checking account. And then the next day, they write a check to Joe. They did make efforts to try to hide what they were doing, but they weren't very good efforts because once the bank records got subpoenaed, we found out this is how the money flowed into America and this is how some of it ended up in Joe Biden's pocket. I'd also suggest to you that at Joe Biden's age, because age does come into this, Joe Biden lives in multi-million dollar homes. He's got a few of them. He's got a solid source of income. As a former president, he'll get a very generous pension. He'll also get a pension from his decades in the U.S. Senate. So he's not worried about money. So in some cases, can you end up bribing a guy by just sending the money to other members of the family and then calling things loans. 
That's the kind of scam that just seems so totally dishonest to me. And here's why. In one case, Hunter Biden gets $5 million, except the Chinese company that gave him the $5 million called it a loan. You know, this seems like such a transparent attempt to get around reporting to the IRS or explaining what the money was all about. If you take a loan from somebody and say you get $5 million, but you understand nobody is ever going to ask you to pay the loan off. Nobody is ever going to ask you to make payments on the loan. And how would anybody outside, absent a subpoena, have any idea that you had been loaned $5 million? And when you say, well, when do you have to pay that loan back? Effectively, never. And then when checks are written to Joe Biden, one of them was a $200,000 check, but it's labeled as a loan repayment. So in total, Joe Biden, who makes, uh, well, as, as president, he makes more money now. But as, as a senator, he made relatively modest money because senators get paid less than $200,000 a year. Now, it's a lot of money for the average person. But, you know, when you're maintaining the kind of lifestyle that Joe Biden lives, uh, that you, you don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars you're loaning. And what's really tra- is crazy and what this bank examiner pointed out is that he saw this money labeled as loan repayment to Joe Biden, but there were no loan documents with it, meaning you're paying off a loan of hundreds of thousands of dollars, in one case, tens of thousands of dollars, for which there's no paperwork at all. If you say, well, it's within the family, it's a way that somebody could say to the IRS, why, I didn't receive any income. I only got some loans paid back. Really, where are the documents that go with those loans? Well, they're loans within the family. So inside of any crime family, I'm sure that money gets loaned back and forth all the time without any loan documents or anything else. When you're dealing with hundreds of thousands of dollars, does anybody buy that? Doesn't that sound like the mirror kind of hogwash to you? That Joe Biden says, don't pay me the money. Just tell them you're paying back a loan. Are you looking for more in this world? 